The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and solely those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests, and do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of the Hartford or its affiliates. You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by the Hartford. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Small Biz Ahead podcast. This is Gene Marks um, talking, and I am thrilled and happy to have a very special guest, Kathy Bromage, not Bromage, Kathy Bromage, right? Chief Marketing Officer, uh, Communications Officer here at the Hartford. Did I say that right? Is that that title good? Thank you. That's good. Kathy is, um, you're you're in charge of all marketing and communications at a giant Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a lot of things to talk about. Um, We actually have three podcasts that we have scheduled with you. And uh, the first one is uh, has to do with employees. But before we even get to that, Kathy, just tell me, um, just as brief as you want it, or as long as you want it, what was your path to becoming a CMO of a Fortune 500 company? That's a loaded question because <laughs> it's a very non-traditional path. That's why that's why I'm interested. So I spent the first half of my career in accounting and in finance. Which makes complete sense, being an accountant, and now you're in charge of marketing. Well, I will tell you, and maybe we talk about that later, um, but it has served me well, that how I actually found my way into marketing was there was an opportunity in one of the Hartford's business lines, personal lines, which is a direct-to-consumer business. Right. And it's all about how do you invest media dollars to get people to come in and consider a purchase of insurance. And it's largely math. It's very analytical in terms of So where do I put my dollars to optimize the cost to generate a lead and to convert that lead into new business? And so my finance background was really, really helpful. And I was well supported by amazing creative talent. And so that gave me the opportunity to better understand the creative aspects and to use my finance skills to drive business impact. And that's kind of how it all began. So right now, um, are you using data as a big part of your job? I am. So the Hartford is a big company, as you suggest. Mm -hmm. Most of our business, however, is distributed through independent agents. And so we are not largely direct to consumer. And so oftentimes an organization would question, well, why do we need marketing? We have people that distribute our products. And so for us, the ability to demonstrate through data and through key performance measures that our initiatives actually support the generation of new business or the retention of customers is critically important to our ability to be respected in the organization and to get the influence that's required to get the opportunity to have an impact. Great. All right, so we are going to get to metrics and data in another podcast. I have a bunch of questions to ask you about that, but um, I I do want to talk about people. I mean, you've been around for a lot. Am I even going to ask you how many years you have worked here at the Hartford? I've only been at the Hartford for 15 years. Only 15 years. Only 15 years, which is actually the longest I've worked anywhere, and this is the fifth company that I've worked for, Okay. um, which I think says a lot about the Hartford, but... Um, It is one of the benefits of being part of a large company is you can change jobs without changing companies. And so I've had a great opportunity to do a multitude of different things here. How many people report into you? I'm currently on a direct basis, about 200. Wow. Do you get involved in the hiring process? Yes and no. Um, The way at this point in my career that I'm involved is obviously anyone who's reporting directly to me. Okay. Or if we're hiring somebody that we think could be a potential successor, 
to somebody on my team, I would play a role. What I'm most interested in is when we have open positions, really being thoughtful about, is that a place where we really should be promoting internal talent? Or is that a place where an external perspective might be helpful in influencing how we go about the hiring process and making sure that we're being thoughtful and giving people an opportunity inside our company? So this podcast is for um, small business owners, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we want to make it you know applicable to us. Um, so you mentioned about filling open positions. Mm -hmm. Do you, have you ever been in a situation in your career where you didn't have an open position, but you stumble across somebody that you just say, we, we got to hire this person. We need this person. And if you even haven't been in that position, could you see yourself being in that position? So I'm going to answer that two ways. Okay. I'm going to start with, that's how I got hired at the Hartford. There was no open role. I was an exploratory candidate. Very challenging to be an exploratory candidate, any size mm -hmm. firm, because people are really focused on, I got an open role, I got to fill it. And there's a sense of urgency around it. If you're just meeting somebody who you think is talented, there's no sense of urgency other than you really want to hire that person and you're afraid they're going to get a better offer somewhere else. But someone took a chance on me at the Hartford, made up a role for me. Hmm. And that is how I found my way into the Hartford. And I remind him every day because he still works here that he's responsible for my success. But for myself, I would say it's much easier to do that. Um, with early career professionals, people mm. younger in their career. Mm -hmm. Honestly, because earlier in your career, there's lots more optionality around where I can place you than when you're more senior in your career. And if it doesn't work out, the implications a little bit more negative than when you're earlier in your career. So we are actually very good about making room for early career professionals and providing now rotation opportunities to find the best placement for them long-term. So there's never a defined role in mind as much as a commitment to bring in new talent, give them experiences because jobs open all the time, and then we're able to place them. Makes sense. When you're interviewing somebody, um, at what point in an interview do you say to yourself, this person's the person? In less than 15 minutes. Why? For the most part, you really want to get a handle on how is somebody going to be welcomed and how well are they going to assimilate in an organization. And it often starts with just that first minute introduction, someone looking you in the eye, are they poised, mm -hmm. and the first set of questions that get asked and answered. And what you're really assessing is, is this somebody who seems really interested in working at this company? Or are they just interested in the job? Is this somebody who really wants to be part of a team? Or is this somebody whose sheer focus is, I want a promotion? Hmm. And you get that vibe really early on. And I usually start to pick at that a little bit when I ask somebody, what brought you here? And describe to me the best experience you've had at a company and what it was about that company that, or that experience that really resonated with you. And you learn a lot. Why do you ask those questions as opposed to more about their expertise or, you know, something to do specifically about where they can, they're, they're able to do the job? So you have their resume. Mm -hmm. So presumably you have some sense of what has been accomplished. And have you, I mean, do you spend a lot of time looking at the resume before? Some people don't. Some people like to go and they're complete, you know, complete with an open mind. Um, do you do you look at the resumes I and prep? I do look at it, and I will look at it 
largely for what experience, not even in terms of subject matter, but types of companies, size of company, um, how long they worked at that company, and then literally how they describe what they did. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people write your resume, you want to put your best foot forward. Um, but I'm just looking at how well they write and communicate. If you can't communicate well in your resume and you're going to be in marketing and communications, that's not really a good <laughs> precursor of how successful you're going to be. But is it just a resume that you're looking at? Like, well, you, will you ask for a cover letter? Will you look for writing samples before? Or would you just mm -hmm. assume that that's been sort of done beforehand? So my folks are really good yeah. about all of that. I am really, really focused on, does this person look like they can communicate? Does the breadth of their experience suggest that they would be successful at the Hartford, right. types of companies, types of environment. And I'm really focused on culture. Is this person going to have a positive impact on our team and on our company? Got it. And when it comes to expertise, there's a lot of people that can vet that out. And sometimes you can get enamored with expertise. Sometimes you can look at somebody's credentials and say, this person is really smart and really talented. But if you're really smart and really talented and you can't influence people or you can't work with people, I don't really care. Hmm. I'm really much more focused on is this somebody who's going to work together to drive a positive impact? And we can teach expertise. Obviously, the more senior you are, the more challenging that is. But it is much easier to teach somebody a skill than it is to teach somebody how to be nice, how to be positive and how to collaborate. You know, uh, one of the biggest issues that I have when I'm interviewing people is uh, is bias. Mm -hmm. I mean, I meet people mm -hmm. and like, I don't know, they went to the same high school I went mm -hmm. to or they're from mm -hmm. a similar whatever. And and I know a lot of people are like this as well. Like we make hiring decisions sometimes for mm -hmm. the right. Have you been challenged by that? How have you, how do you try to keep bias out of your decisions? You know, here's a place I think where being part of a big company is going to be different than being part of a smaller company. And I have actually worked for small companies right. in my past. In a big company, I think you have the luxury of trying to fill a lot of slots yeah. and being very deliberate around, I want a diverse slate. Because it doesn't matter what research you look at, it is a diverse world. And your ability to employ a diverse set of experiences and a diverse set of um, perspectives is critically important to staying relevant to serving a diverse set of customers. But what I have found on the bias issue is we all do it unconsciously. If you're part of a big company, you get trained on this on a regular basis right. to make something that's unconscious conscious and to really sort of reinforce the need for a diverse perspective. And that isn't just ethnicity, that's gender, that's just even a point of view. Sure. That's even sort of attitudes about the way you work. I think the biggest challenge for me personally on bias, having worked a long time, is on the notion of flexibility. It is less about should you hire women, should you hire people of color. I think we all get that. Um, but it's more about different work styles. You know, I grew up at a time where it was very sort of clear, sort of how you worked, what your hours were, what the hierarchy was, right. and what you could ask for and what you couldn't. And in the war for talent and a whole different generation, the notion of remote work and flexible hours and the blurring of work and personal time has been my biggest um, challenge. Right. So what do you do? I mean, I, I was just about to ask you and mm -hmm. you, you're sort of leading into mm -hmm. I mean, you've been you've been at the Harvard for 15 years, mm -hmm. worked at different places before that. 
hiring's changed a lot mm -hmm. since you first started out. So you mentioned some of the ways that it's mm -hmm. changed, right? These different demands. Yep. So what are you doing now to, to meet that? I mean, when you have now people coming in that are significantly younger than you and I now, mm -hmm. and they're making sort of certain demands for remote working or whatever, how, how, do, you, how do you play that? So here's my opinion about remote work. If you are an individual contributor with a unique skill, you should be able to work from anywhere. Okay. I can accept that. If you want to be a leader of people, I think depending upon the role, you can probably work anywhere. What I worry about personally is if you're an individual contributor working out of your house in a place with no proximity, how connected are you to the company? And the company is not a building. The company is people. Right. So I'm more than willing for certain roles to think about you're an individual contributor working out of your home and you're delivering value. I'm even open to remote work. If you've spent any time in any one of our physical locations across the country, and I feel like you have a connection to our company. And I also point out that being remote doesn't mean you never come into a physical property of the Hartford to connect with your teammates. Mm. I just think looking somebody in the eye every once in a while is very powerful. Right. When it comes to work hours, I'm less bothered about that. I think if we're really clear about our expectations of folks and folks are getting it done, then I don't really care when you're doing it. Having said that, there are certain hours in the day where we would like everybody to be present so you can actually plan a meeting, whether that's a virtual meeting or a physical meeting. So I'm, I think, have come a long way in terms of my own view, as has the Hartford and this notion of remote work and flexibility. Um, but it doesn't come without expectations around responsibility and accountability on the folks who are looking for remote work and flexibility. Good. Uh, job candidates, um, oftentimes people ask for references. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on references? Do you give them much credence? No. Now, what I will say is that I give them some credence in terms of if there's any hesitation. So we're all going to give somebody's name that we think is going to say something positive and people that are really sort of diligent about the interview process are calling their references and suggesting what they'd like them to say. Nowadays, you really even can't verify much. So for me, I give a lot less credence to the reference that I get from a candidate and I use networks or internal networks to get feedback from people who know these folks from either a past relationship or a past employer. What do you do if somebody asks you for a reference and you're not a huge fan? I don't return the email or the call. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. It's but one of those don't say anything if you can't say something just, nice. You blame the spam filter, which is, uh, it's okay. You yeah. know, speaking, I have two more questions mm -hmm. for you. One is um, on the technology I mentioned, email. Mm -hmm. um, social media. I mean, again, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of uh, business owners, a lot of my mm -hmm. clients ask me, um, do you look into social media when you're looking at a potential candidate? Does that, does that have any influence on your decision? Do you not care? Um, our recruiters, you mm -hmm. know, the folks that um, the Hartford employees, full-time employees, absolutely are scrolling social media. So that's part of their thing, right? It is okay. definitely part of their thing. Mm -hmm. And if there is an issue, it is brought to our attention and we need to weigh in on it. Okay. Again, you know, if this is something somebody did seven, eight years ago as a young person, a little bit less concerned if it's something more current and there's something in there that's kind of negative or doesn't show some sort of self-possession or self-control, that's a red flag. Got it. 
Um, to wrap things up, the uh, you know, so let's say that all is well and great at the Hartford, mm -hmm. but I don't know, you decide to leave the Hartford, you start up your own business, mm -hmm. right? So you're running a company, you're looking to hire people. 50% um, of the people that are out there now are younger, millennials mm -hmm. and younger, mm -hmm. 35 mm -hmm. years old, and, and you're a different set of you know, objectives and, mm -hmm. and whatnot, okay? Based on all that you've learned, what advice would you have for yourself, for other business owners mm -hmm. when they're interviewing that prospective employee? What advice would you have? So again, this is someone coming from a large company, sure. but but now I you're think, in a small company. I think it so you're applies. Use that. When I'm interviewing people, I would be looking for somebody that I am confident is actually going to care about my customers. Good. That is actually going to treat somebody with respect. They're going to put the customer first, and that they are going to be driven to always make the customer experience better. We all live and die by our customers. We all live and die by referrals and repeat business, big company or small company. And it is all about the people that are facing off with your customers every single day that are going to determine success or failure. Yeah, I found the same thing, Kathy. I mean, the uh, it's like there's a certain level of experience mm -hmm. or technical mm -hmm. knowledge you need to have. Mm -hmm. But like you said earlier, that can be taught. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's you're, you're going to be in an environment working with other people. And mm -hmm. who do you trust and right. how do they get along with everyone? And there's lots of choice. And so if we all know that repeat customers mm -hmm. is probably the best path to success, it's all about the people, and not just the people who are having a face-to-face -face interaction, but the people maybe in that business that are making a decision right. that somebody on the front line has to execute. It's going to be really difficult for them to execute. Maybe that's not such a good decision. Awesome. Kathy Bromage. Yes. Do I pronounce that right? I, he's thinking I'm going to say it's Bromage, and it's Bromage, right? It's, it's English, Brumage. not French. Chief Marketing Officer, mm -hmm. uh, Communications Officer here at the Hartford. Thank you very Thank much. You. We have some more stuff to talk about Great. in My other pleasure. podcasts. Excited to do it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Jean. Thanks for joining Elizabeth and Jean for another edition of the Small Biz Ahead podcast. For the latest on small business trends straight from the small business experts, visit the Hartford Small Biz Ahead. We've got articles, how-tos, and videos to help you run your business more efficiently. Check us out at smallbizahead.com.